It's wonderful to be back here at DeVar. It's wonderful to be in Chicago. It's wonderful to be welcomed by some fresh snow. Uh, Anna and I currently live in Southern California, so we don't, this is a rare treat for us, though I'm sure by the end of the weekend we'll be ready for the sunshine. Um, so we'll be ready to get back. But uh, even though it's been a long time since we've been gone, Anna and I have been, you know, we have ears everywhere. We've jumped around the Messianic community, jumped around the country. So we have eyes and ears everywhere. Here, wonderful news going on around the Messianic world, particularly here. Um, and most of them tend to be pregnancy announcements. Uh, it's really quite exciting for us to hear about the growth of the community, particularly here, um, and the, just the Chicago Messianic community, the new lives being welcomed in the community. And Anna and I are at the point in our lives where it seems that almost all of our friends and family are starting to have children. Um, we both had uh, our first nieces this year, so very exciting for us. And so, of course, the number one question that Anna and I get is, when are we going to have children? So, in light of all that, Anna and I thought that this would be a great time for us to announce that we're still not pregnant. <laughs> and we're not trying. Yes. Uh, I'm pretty sure, at least. Um, just so you know, Anna did not want me to make that joke. Uh, so I take full responsibility for that comment. Um, but uh, now, for the, I've, I've geared uh, my comments today towards our Shabbaton, towards our focused um, for this young adults meeting. So uh, I may be preaching to the choir, but uh, I really wanted to start by getting the ball rolling for our conversations this weekend. So hopefully I raise as many questions as uh, answers or comments that I make. Um, and our theme for this weekend is Am Yisrael Chai, the people of Israel live. More precisely, our theme raises a two-part question. Why is this phrase, Am Yisrael Chai, important for us within the Messianic Jewish community, and how should we then live? These, of course, are loaded questions, and complicated ones. I don't plan to give an answer to either of them, like I mentioned, but I do hope to raise some of the issues that we'll discuss going, for, going forward. Um, and in particular, I would like to do so by looking at the Book of Acts. For those of you who know my research interests, that's no surprise. Um, uh, but Acts is the only book that really narrates the spread of the Yeshua movement and is the only book that provides us a clear scriptural narration of how the earliest followers of Yeshua lived. Um, I'm not going to focus on how they lived in this narrative, it'll come up, but rather I want to focus on Peter's second sermon, uh, a text that I've spent quite a bit of time with and uh, one of my go-to passages. Peter's second sermon to the Jewish people in Acts 3, so turn with me there. Um, but I think this short sermon really will provide a helpful entry point for our conversations this week. In particular, Peter's speech reflects both the prophetic call that, are, that is on our movement towards Am Yisrael and a reminder and challenge about, it, what it, about what it means to be members of Am Yisrael, specifically ones who follow Israel's Messiah. So let's pray. I don't know, we thank you for bringing us in here safely, for the wonderful weather, uh, for the blessings to be able to discuss and to learn from your word. And we thank you. Give us wisdom, give us insight in Yeshua's name. So before we actually explore this text itself, before we look at the speech itself, I just want to make some brief comments about the events that precipitate Peter's sermon. 
In the, in the narrative, this speech occurs shortly after the giving of the Spirit on Shavuot and Peter's first outreach speech in the, uh, in the narrative that results in 3,000 Jewish people from all over the diaspora joining the community of Yeshua followers. And this scene, in my view, uh, illustrates the beginnings, the initiation of the restoration of Am Yisrael that was foretold by the prophets. So because of this, it shouldn't surprise us when motifs about the restoration of Israel uh, arise as the narrative continues. Our present scene, our present speech, begins with Peter and John on their way to the temple to participate in the afternoon offering slash prayer. So it's worth noting that these two pillars of the Jerusalem community of believers continued to participate in the temple services even after the death and resurrection of Yeshua. They, like all of Luke's main characters, all Luke's Jewish main characters, remained faithful to their ancestral customs of Israel. They remained faithful to Moses and the prophets. Indeed, nothing in Luke-Acts calls Israel's covenantal calling, as expressed in the Torah, into question. Indeed, Peter's speech, I will suggest, calls Israel to greater fidelity to their covenantal calling, as expressed in Torah, of course, as understood through Yeshua, the prophet like Moses. Now, as Peter and John approach the temple, Peter, they encounter a beggar. And this beggar has been uh, crippled since birth and would regularly think, seek alms, that is charity, from those going to the temple to worship. Now, instead of providing this man with charity, Peter and John give him something greater, healing in the name of Yeshua. Immediately, this man's ankles become strong and he enters, enters the temple leaping and praising God, which draws the attention of many of the people in the temple complex. Now, the reference to him leaping uh, is quite significant since it should echo in our minds Isaiah 35, where the prophet foretells a time when the lame will leap like the deer and the deserts will bloom. And that's the time when God comes to redeem Zion, when he will restore the exiles. So it's obvious there's a lot of evidence here that suggests that this man actually represents and images an initial taste of that. In many ways, this man represents Israel herself, since several prophetic texts, such as Micah 4 and Zephaniah 3, describe Israel's exilic state as akin to being crippled. This man, it seems, represents the healing that God promises to bring and will bring to his people Israel through his servant Yeshua. And so, in his speech, Peter preaches that exact hope. This then brings us to the speech itself. So, if you're not already there, look at Acts 3 with me, starting in verse 11. As he clung to Peter and John, all the people gathered before them in Solomon's portico in utter, utter astonishment. Seeing this, Peter replied to them, Men, Israelites, why do you marvel at this? Why do you stare at us as if it was by our own power or piety that we have made him able to walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, glorified his servant Yeshua, whom you indeed had handed over and disowned in the presence of Pilate, who decided to release him. Then you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and demanded a man, a murderer, be shown grace for you. You killed the originator of life, whom God raised from the dead. We ourselves are witness to this. And his name strengthened this man you have seen and have heard by the faithfulness of his name. And the faithfulness that is through him has given this, this one complete health before all of you. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, 
as did your leaders. In this way, God fulfilled that which was foretold through the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and return for the forgiveness of your sins, so that the times of refreshing might come from before the Lord, and that he might send the one who has been appointed for you, Messiah Yeshua, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things about which God spoke in the past through the mouth of the holy prophets. Indeed, Moses said that the Lord your God will raise up, raise up for, for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Listen to all that he says to you. It will be that every life that does not listen to that prophet will be cut off from the people. And all prophets from Samuel and all those afterwards spoke and foretold these days. You are the descendants of the prophets and the covenant which God made himself with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. After God raised up his servant, he sent him to you first to bless you by turning each one from your evil ways. So this speech, after this healing event, occurs or begins by redirecting the audience's attention from Peter and John to the God of Israel. Notice that throughout the speech, Peter's focus is on God's actions. God glorified his servant Yeshua. God raised Yeshua from the dead. God fulfilled what was foretold. God spoke in the past. God will raise up, and God did raise up his servant. God made the covenant with the ancestors. God sent his servant to bless them. So Israel's ancestral God, Peter tells them, has now acted in and through his servant Yeshua, the one whom Jerusalem handed over to death. This entire speech contrasts the faithfulness of Israel's God with the unfaithfulness of Israel. Israel, as she has done through her entire history, rejected God's agent of salvation. They disowned the holy and righteous one and instead requested that a murderer receive clemency. Instead, But notice what's interesting, the phrasing here is quite interesting, that Peter does not say explicitly they denied Yeshua, though of course he's certainly implied, if you've read Luke's narrative, you know of course that's what happened. But Peter states they denied the Holy and Righteous One, which are titles often attributed to God in Isaiah and elsewhere in the scriptures. And this shouldn't be too surprising that there's this ambiguity here, because Luke, very subtly throughout his narratives, has so intertwined the titles given to Yeshua and God himself, that the reader should often expect to hear this dual reference. When you hear certain titles in reading Luke's writings, you should wonder, does this refer to Yeshua or does this refer to God? And the answer is yes. Um, But in other words, in this speech, Peter's Peter's insinuating that by denying God's servant Yeshua, Israel has denied God. Of course, this is not new in Israel's history. But also like throughout all of Israel's history, Israel's unfaithfulness cannot overcome the faithfulness of Israel's God. While Israel killed the originator of life, the one who was supposed to bring renewed life, who was supposed to bring the restoration of Israel, God raised him from the dead. Their perversion of justice and righteousness, their rejection of life, can't overcome God's choice of life. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, Israel's God remains faithful. Indeed, it was the very faithfulness of God's name, the faithfulness of Yeshua's name, that has healed the man. It is the faithfulness that God has demonstrated in and through and to 
his servant Yeshua that has healed this man as a sign to all of the people of Israel. So God remains faithful even when Israel is not. Indeed, Peter even states that it is this unfaithfulness, it is Israel's unfaithfulness that is the means by which God demonstrates his faithfulness. God fulfilled the words of the prophets, namely that the Messiah would suffer, by Israel's ignorance in disowning Yeshua to death. So the God of Israel remains loyal to and works through Israel, even when they're in rebellion. But God's faithfulness always demands reciprocal faithfulness. God's actions always call for a response. Therefore, Peter says, repent and return. In light of God's faithful action in the Messiah, in light of him raising Yeshua from the dead, turn from your ignorance, turn from your ways, and return to God in Messiah. So Peter, like all the prophets before him, including John, and John the Immerser and Yeshua, calls Israel to repent for their sins and return to God as expressed in the covenant. Peter is just preaching a more focused version of what John has preached and what Yeshua has preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is not too dissimilar from what the prophets have preached. Repent for the coming of your God. So, and furthermore, in the prophetic tradition and in the world of early Judaism, this call to repent and return always entails a return to the covenant, covenant faithfulness as expressed in faithfulness to the Torah, the guide for which uh, that God gave to Israel to express this relationship, to express their calling, to express their faithfulness. Now, of course, here Peter centers it particularly around the Messiah, but clearly the Torah is built into this call to repent and return, since it is the instructions for how Am Yisrael should be faithful to God. And nothing in the context suggests that this has changed. The prophetic call that Peter gives remains as it has always been. Return to the way of life that God has called to you. Return to your covenantal vocation. So, just like the prof previous prophets in Israel's history, this uh, call to repent and return carries both promises and warnings attached to it. So Peter lists, lists a couple results that would stem from Israel's repentance and the return to this covenantal calling, particularly expressed through loyalty to Yeshua. First, Israel's repentance, just as predicted by some of the prophets, will lead to their sins being blotted out by God. Israel's sins, including their denial of God's servant, Yeshua, would be erased. Second, alongside with this blotting out of Israel's sins, would come her restoration and the restoration of the entire cosmos. Israel is to repent and return, quote, so that the times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. The phrase, this phrase, times of refreshing, echoes prophetic language that describes the end of exile, the restoration of Israel in terms of refreshment and healing from sickness. These times of refreshment will come alongside of, Peter tells us, God's sending of the Messiah, the one appointed for Israel's sake. When he returns back to earth, that's what will come with him. Indeed, Messiah Yeshua, Peter tells us, must remain in heaven until the time of the restoration of everything that God spoke in the past through the mouth of his holy prophets. And this, of course, includes the restoration of Israel. But even more than that, it includes the restoration of the nation and of the entire cosmos, as described by the prophets, not the least of whom is Isaiah. Yet all of this, it seems, is contingent upon 
Israel's repentance and return, Israel's faithful response to God's servant upon whether or not they heed Peter's call. But, as I mentioned earlier, prophetic messages tend to have warnings for continued infidelity attached to them. Peter reminds the people how Moses even foresaw that God would raise up a prophet like him from among uh, Israel, from among their brothers. Moses commanded Israel to listen to, to obey everything that this prophet says to the people. Whoever does not listen to this prophet, however, runs the risk of being cut off from the people of Israel, being excluded from Am Yisrael. If Israel repents and returns to faithfulness to God, they will experience the covenantal blessings, the end of exile, the restoration of the prophets that the prophets foretold, the resurrection of the dead, which Paul will later call the hope of Israel. Indeed, all the prophets in Samuel, Peter tells them, spoke of and foretold these days that they're in, the days in which God would reign from Zion over his people, when David's greater son would reign from Jerusalem. Israel need only respond. So Peter's message really just sounds like the prophets of old, of course, now centered and focused on the person and work of Yeshua. But overall, Peter's still proclaiming the same message, the suffering Messiah, the faithfulness of God to an unfaithful people, and the same hope, the end of exile, the restoration of Israel, and the restoration of the entire creation. So why would we think that the call and the expectation to repent would be any different? Peter, like the prophets before him, calls Israel to repent and return to their covenantal calling, their covenantal vocation in preparation for the coming of the Lord to Zion. This is the same message of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, the rest of the prophets. Live according to justice, mercy, love, and faithfulness. Serve this God alone. Live as the kingdom of priests and the whole, God's holy nation that he has called you to. Listen to the Messiah, the prophet, the, the one like Moses, and return to faithfulness to God and his servant. Again, Another question to ask is, why would we expect the prophet like Moses to undermine Moses? Of course, the prophet like Moses is greater than Moses, and the people must listen to this new prophet. But Luke has given us no impression that, Luke, that Yeshua undermines Moses. Rather, throughout his narrative, Yeshua defends Moses. He upholds Moses and teaches us how to properly read, listen to, and obey Moses. The prophet Messiah Yeshua, like those before him, also calls Israel to repent and return, but specifically to repent and return to the weightier matters of Torah, love, justice, faith, mercy, etc., etc. But he also reminds us not to neglect the minutia of Torah. It is once again Peter's carrying on the legacy of his, his master. He's calling Israel to choose life, just like Moses did. And so Peter continues on to his audience by reminding them of this covenantal identity and calling. You are the descendants of the prophet, he states. And what does it mean to be a descendant, to be a son of the prophet? It means to be in the likeness of, to live according to, to be heirs of. The sons of the prophets in Israel's scriptures are those who followed the prophets, those who carried out the legacy of the prophets. So in calling them the sons of the prophet, Peter exhorts them to live according to the message of the prophets, just like Yeshua has been calling Israel to do. So how does one live according to the covenant? Exclu exclusive loyalty to the one God of Israel as expressed in fidelity to the Torah and now as expressed in fidelity to God's servant, the Messiah. It is to be a light to the nations, a testimony to the faithfulness of God in the world, now expressed most fully in the person and work of the Messiah. And so Peter also calls them descendants or sons of the covenant that God himself made with our ancestors. 
And a few points are worth noting about this, this phrase, uh, sons of the covenant. First, covenant here is singular. He refers to the covenant that God made with the ancestors. Of course, starting with Abraham, but it is the covenant, the one that God has established with Abraham and his descendants that led all the way to Sinai and beyond. Second, the Torah is actually built into this covenant and is an extension of it. It is not the means by which one earns the covenant, but it is the guide to how one should live in covenant relationship. In fact, God himself called Abraham and his descendants, quote, keep my covenant. That's Torah faithfulness language. Indeed, the Torah is the guide for how Israel is to live according to the covenant. And in returning to this relationship, to this covenant, Israel would, refer, uh, would fulfill her calling to bless the nations. Israel's vocation has always been this, to, to bless the nations, starting with the very call of Abraham, continued in the giving of circumcision, continued in the giving of Torah, simply see De uh, Moses' exhortation in Deuteronomy 7, and the prof repeated prophetic calls to repent so that they may be a light to the nations. This is the covenant that God made with all Israel. So Peter says, repent and return to your ancient calling. Indeed, it is for Israel's sake, Peter tells them, that God raised up his servant. God sent Yeshua to Israel first, which of course implies that the Gentiles too will be reached. Uh, in order to bless Israel, God sent them Yeshua. And how will he bless them? By causing each in Israel to turn from their wicked ways. Or at least, that's the goal. All the prophets have foretold the time when God would cause Israel to repent. When Israel would be faithful to the covenant, when God himself would reign from Zion through David's greater son. God promised to accomplish this, and these days, Peter tells his audience, are at hand. God once again offers Am Yisrael this healing only if they respond, if they turn back in faithfulness to God and God's servant, the one appointed for their sake, Messiah Yeshua. But as we know, not all Israel has heeded this message. And Acts narrates the division within Israel over the message about God's actions in Yeshua. Some, in fact, do repent and return, while others continue to disavow God's servant. Yet, Am Yisrael remains. In fact, Am Yisrael throughout Israel's history has always consisted of both faithful and unfaithful members. And Peter and Paul even continue to refer to members of Israel who have not turned to Yeshua as brothers. We, the faithful, which includes the faithful and the unfaithful with Am Yisrael, remain just that, Am Yisrael. Peter, therefore, reminds us today that we, too, are descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with our ancestors. And so Peter challenges us with several questions. Simply, how do we live as descendants of the prophet and the covenant? How could we imagine that we could carry out the legacy of Am Yisrael if we separate ourselves from the rest of Am Yisrael? Paul continues to be rejected in synagogues, but he keeps going back. Yeshua and his apostles, Luke tells us, continue to reach out and participate in the wider Jewish world. They continue to live according to the ancestral customs of Israel. In fact, so this challenges us to ask ourselves, how can we claim to be the faithful among Am Yisrael if we reject the ancestral customs of Am Yisrael, the Torah? Of course, now as understood and interpreted in and through the Messiah. How can we carry out and express faithfulness to the covenant 
to the covenant God made with our ancestors and fulfill our vocation to be the light to the nations. Simply put, what then shall we do? And so I pray that we make some progress in addressing these questions that we, as we discuss them with one another this weekend. Shabbat shalom. <laughs>